Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me in the virtual studios from South Bend, Indiana, is my my good friend and my compatriot and the man who gives harp lessons to the new angels, Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how are you doing, my friend? I am I am well, thank you. I'd like to point out that they're not actually harps. We use lyres because they're ah, much more portable. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Oh, golly. Excellent. You know, you know, it's it's interesting in the Psalms, uh, particularly in the prescripts. Uh, those are the verses that come before the actual psalm, yeah. which in the in the Masoretic text actually count as part of the psalm. Okay. You know, some of them uh, it's indicated what instrument is supposed to be used for that particular psalm. Um, okay. You know, so when they talk about the flutes, you know, this one's to be played with flutes. Um, this one is to have the same melody as this other psalm. You know, um, this psalm is supposed to be played w- with a. Um, uh, what's the uh, name? Him checking real quick. The timbrel or the harp? Yeah, yeah timbrel loop. Uh, oh, one is a gatith. Uh, gatith is a um, ancient lap harp from Goth. So it's probably David in fighting the Philistines um, confiscated probably one of these and started using it to compose psalms. You know, huh. it talks about the eight chord. You know, <laughs> an eight chord is another harp type instrument. So those are actually very popular back in the time of, of David for composing um, music for the Psalms. So these are basically the kind of like stage directions in a way. Yes. The prescripts. Yes. Yeah. Pre-scripts. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. They're, they're excellent. And I always pray them as part of the Psalm myself. Um, okay. That's why I typically don't use the breviary for the Psalms. I use the uh, actually the revised grail, um, which, which, which I really like in some sense because um, it retains the Jewishness of the translation. Okay. Um, for example, there's, there's certain Jewish phrases in here that are kept um, from the original. Like, for example, the uh, Tate, um, the Tate strophe of Psalm 119, um, verse 70 says, well, let me read 69 and 70 to get the, the whole strophe. The arrogant smear me with lies. With all my heart, I keep your precepts. Their hearts are dense like fat. But your law is my delight. <laughs> I love that their hearts are dense like dense fat. Like you fat. Know? It's just it's such a, a very um, visual image, you know. And you you imagine cutting yourself into a piece of lard, right? And their hearts right. are they're, they're so they're not stone that they can't get through, but their hearts have become stiffened enough that it's difficult to get through. You see, it's a, it's a really wonderful image when you're praying. And you're thinking of the, the 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 meaning of why they use that particular analogy in that place. So that's what I like about it. But in some places, though, this new translation, I think, takes away from some of the sweetness, if you will, of some of the original translation. Um, so when I'm praying some of the Psalms, I'm like, ah, I guess they would, I wish they would have kept that line. Although, again, it's more accurate, but it takes away, so I think, a little bit of the, of the sweetness of the previous Grail translation. And so I, I miss that. But but overall, I use it because it does have the prescripts here. For example, Psalm I, uh, by 7, the way, I'm I'm still slightly transfixed by their their hearts are 
like coated in fat. Dense uh, with fat. I mean, dense with fat, because like I'm thinking every cardiologist reading that is like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about there. There so, you go. This is cholesterol. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for example, one of the just the last little note here, one of the prescripts in Psalm seven is called the Shigayon. And the Shigayon is a lyrical po- a lyrical poem composed under strong, impassioned emotion. So uh, this typically translated English as uh, lament, you know, yeah. the lament Psalms. And also like Habakkuk chapter three, the entire chapters of Shigayon. And I think it actually says that in the prescript for Habakkuk three. So, so there's some very, that's why I love these prescripts because for me, they prepare me to enter more deeply into the Psalm. Um, maybe just cause I'm a geek, but I, but for no, me, that no, 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 no. This is, uh, I mean, remember, we're dealing with the sacred scriptures here, right? And so the Holy Spirit uses the human authors with all of their talent and all of their skill to convey the message that God wants you to hear. And so even those little prayers in there are getting you ready, preparing your heart to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to you, the reader, or you, the person praying with it. So it seems to me like... uh, Maybe sometime, I don't know, you know, we've chatted about the Psalms and we've chatted about praying the divine uh, office before, but maybe that's something we should uh, chat about again real soon, because I love praying with the Psalms myself, much as you say, but I don't know that, um, because I'm not bound to pray it every day, as you are, uh, mm-hmm. being a, an ordained member of the clergy, um, maybe we should we should revisit the uh, the book of Psalms and and uh, kind of how how do you pray with the Psalms? Because that seems to me to be a wonderful, a wonderful topic that can enrich all of our faith. I like that, Ken. That that's a great idea. Let's do <laughs> that's that. awesome. That's awesome. Well, Deacon, it is our last time for a while that we are going to talk about this encyclical that we have been reading and praying with now for a number of months, uh, Pope John Paul II's 1995 encyclical, The Gospel of Life, Evangelium Vitae. And we are now in the last paragraphs. We're going to pick up our conversation with a little bit about paragraph 98 and then the last section and conclusion here tonight. So I'm excited about this because the Holy Father has been writing us, particularly in this last section, he's writing about transforming the culture around us, which last week, as we discussed, begins with transforming ourselves. We need to ourselves be converted to people of life, to people who not only proclaim the value of life, but then live that out in our actions and in every one of our words. And we also put our skills and our talents to use in service of the gospel of life. Uh, Last week, we talked about intellectuals, uh, people particularly in, you know, places of learning and the importance of educating and forming consciences. There's a little bit at the end of paragraph 98 that I, I felt is important that we not pass up because of what we get to do in e- even here on Living Stones. And John Paul says that an important and serious responsibility belongs to those involved in the mass media who are called to ensure that the messages which they so effectively transmit will support the culture of life. They, that's you and me, we need to present noble models of life and make room for instances of people's positive and sometimes heroic love for others. With great respect, those in the media should also present the positive 
principles of sexuality and human love and not insist on what defiles and cheapens human dignity. This is an incredible charge for each and every person who works in media, the, it, our responsibility towards those to whom, you know, our listeners, our viewers, and those who, who read what we have to say. That's a great responsibility on, on our shoulders. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we should be uh, grateful to, uh, like, EWTN, you know, um, and, and they yeah. have a show called Pro-Life Weekly. In fact, and they just have a new one now, which is kind of a, a, a more extended um, show where they talk about specific issues within the pro-life world as well. Um, so and all the other efforts that are being made through the media, um, I'm thinking of uh, Father Frank Vavone, Priest for Life, sure. and uh, all the other things that they're doing as well. So there's some some really amazing efforts through the media out there. And again, we should be using social media, using our, our uh, different digital platforms in our sphere of influence to get this message out there. Um, yeah. You know, the the internet, we should, again, see it as a tool, not our life. I tell this to young people all the time. Your phone is a tool, not your life. But it's a tool that we can use now um, to be able to, uh, you know, you use tools to fix things. And one thing that needs to be fixed is this culture, right? And so right. using it as a tool, as a method, um, as a way of getting across um, the truths of the faith in a way that helps the foreign consciousness and and um, maybe uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course, to convert minds and hearts toward that that beautiful truth. Um, you know, uh, and he says, with great respect, they should also present a positive values of sexuality and human love, and uh, not insist on what defiles and cheapens human dignity. And yeah. that's what we're seeing over and over constantly. In our, on, even on regular television now, I was watching something the other day and they were dropping, you know, four letter words that I mean, on, on regular television, not even on the mo like a movie channel or something. I was like, whoa, you they never would have gotten away with that. See, the thing is, we've become so used to these yeah. these kinds of things. We've become conditioned. We've become um, just in a sense programmed to just like up, oh, up, oh, they, oh, they just said another word. Oh, oh well. You know, and just ignoring it, and we just, you know, we we can't we can't continue just to sit still and allow this culture to run roughshod over us. You know. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. You know, even shows which are you know praised as being very upbeat and and um, joyful shows. I mean, like the show Ted Lasso. I mean, they use language on there that is just. It's like, oh, I'd love to share this show with my with children and with young people because it's it's got a positive message. But they also they're they're dropping bad language, you know, language which just is not appropriate. Uh, and you're like, why did you have to cheapen the show that way? You know, yeah. and it it just ends up being disappointing. And um, but still, you know, this is th this actually is a responsibility of those of us who are consumers of media as well. We have the responsibility to actually demand and support shows that really are wholesome and that are that are in line with our values. Um, you know, just because it's on the television, just because it's on, you know, just because it's on doesn't mean we have to watch it. Doesn't mean we have to celebrate it. We can also have influence by encouraging people and producers and media channels to carry things that are in line with our values. And sure, that's an incredible, it's an incredible lift, you know, and it's a heck of a thing to ask for. 
but it is our responsibility. And that's how we actually can begin to build this culture of life, respect for it. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what the reason why I don't really watch a lot of television. You know, yeah. I just, I mean, it's just, I got better things to do with my time. Um, but when, when they do present a message that's counter to the culture of life, um, we've seen some Catholics, for example, respond by boycotting certain um, uh, uh, platform providers um, yeah. and, and content providers um, on television because uh, they've chosen to air things um, that are uh, very much against um, or even insulting. Uh, or derogatory to the Catholic faith, but you never see them do it for other faiths, only for those who believe in Jesus. You know, so yeah. um, so again, we just can't sit back and 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 let this happen. You know, we have to use our our voices and our sphere of influence to be able to um, help to form and shape this culture of death. And again, starts with the family. You know, we have yep. s- strong families. You have a, a strong church. Strong church. You have a strong culture. Well, and one of the most powerful forces that the Holy Father points out in building a decisive culture of life is the witness and action of women. So in paragraph 99, John Paul says, in transforming culture so that it supports life, women occupy a place in thought and action which is unique and decisive. It depends on them to promote what he calls a new feminism, which rejects the temptation of imitating models of male domination in order to acknowledge and affirm the true genius of women in every aspect of the life of society and overcome all discrimination, violence, and exploitation. Now, I know we've talked about before this idea of the the particular genius of women. And John Paul II is, again, calling upon this idea that women occupy a unique place in relation to life that men do not have. And that is that women are particularly, through the gift of motherhood, they have a unique insight into accepting the other and respecting it as other. When you talk to a woman with who's carrying a child in her womb, she is keenly aware of that child, that life within her, in a way that none of us on the outside know. We don't know anything about that child until the child is born, whereas the mother is in a unique relationship where she's literally with that child, that unique individual person for the whole pregnancy in a way that none of us can be. Um, this, of course, the great model of this is Our Lady, the the Blessed Mother Mary herself, who knew that the child within her was the Divine Son. She has an incredible insight that we look towards, and we're going to hear about her as we get to the end of this encyclical as well. But John Paul really wants to encourage women to as he says, they first learn and then teach others that human relations are authentic if they are open to accepting the other person, a person who is recognized and loved because of the dignity which comes from being a person, and not from other considerations, such as their usefulness, strength, intelligence, beauty, or health. That's what, you know, what John Paul is saying. That that value and that dignity of the person is not because of what they do or can do, but because of their very fact of their existence as a created being. That's the beauty that women and the insight that women bring to the world. Yeah, you know, women have a special intimacy with the Holy Spirit that we men 
um, just just don't have, you know. Um, and, and it's not just you know the the dominum et vivificantem, you know, the Lord and Giver of Life, where they can, you know, uh, have the potential to become pregnant and give birth. It's also a I think there's a spiritual dimension. I'm thinking about the women who become nuns or the women uh, who uh, can't have children or, or, or for whatever reason don't have children. You know, there, there's still something there because it, it's not just about um, baby making, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, it's not just about the physical act of being able to give birth. There's something with the whole father, what the Holy Father is getting at. There's something deeply spiritual here within the nature of woman, again, whether she has children or not, there's something very innate within her that should be nurtured and fostered by all of us. Um, this, this beautiful vocation. I mean, I'm thinking of the nuns, for example, that give life to so many children that they teach. Yeah. So many children uh, and families who are poor uh, and the incredible work that they're doing. You know, I think I mentioned this before, that one of the most profound experiences I've ever had was in South Africa. We went to a squatter camp for AIDS orphans, and they're the only adults running this place were nuns. You know, full habit in the heat of South Africa, full habit taking care of those children when children that literally were left for dead, that were left wandering in the street, that were left in garbage cans and, and bins. These nuns took them. And are giving, trying to give them a life. It's just, it. I, I just was dumbstruck. In fact, it was such. So, Father could see that I was so moved by that experience. He gave me a hand carved, kind of Madonna and child uh, piece of art that I cherish. I mean, as as a reminder of my time there in South Africa, but particularly of that visit to the squatter camp. And um, you know, there's there's such a beauty and a depth, and that's why it hurts my heart to the core. When I when I see how men are objectifying women through pornography, and through yeah. human trafficking, and through contraception, and through these these uh, other ways where we're just completely objectifying them, so we can get what we want, and not seeing the deep dignity, and the work of the spirit that's happening within the heart of every woman. Amen. The Holy Father now goes on to have this special word. He says, "I'd like to say a special word to women who have had an abortion." Um, here is one of the most hopeful and encouraging messages from the entire encyclical. The church, as he says, is aware of the many factors which may have influenced your decision. And she does not doubt that in many cases it was a painful and even shattering decision. The wound in your heart may not yet have healed. Certainly what happened was and remains terribly wrong, but do not give in to discouragement and do not lose hope. Try rather to understand what happened and face it honestly. If you've not already done so, give yourselves over with humility and trust to repentance. The Father of mercies is ready to give you his forgiveness and his peace in the sacrament of reconciliation. This message here, and it goes on, is to me one of the most encouraging and loving messages from the Holy Father, on behalf of the entire church, on behalf of Christ, to invite each and every person to, to not lose hope and to turn to the Father of mercies who is always ready to receive. 
you know, we read here, I mean, I read this and I think of the, the parable of the prodigal son coming back and the father embracing his, his child and saying, this child who was lost, who was dead to me, is now returned. And that's the image that, that John Paul is offering to each and every woman who's been harmed by abortion. And not just to the women, but also to the men who are involved. But specifically, he's writing to those of us, to those who have been affected by abortion. Um, you know, last year we presented the Notre Dame Evangelium Vitae Medal to Vicki Thorne, the founder of Project Rachel, the post-abortion healing ministry. And to listen to her story of working with hundreds, if not thousands of women around the world who've been touched by abortion, who now have become great advocates for life. That is the redemptive power of God's mercy. These women who have been hurt and harmed, you know, in many, many ways, psychologically and physically, who are now themselves great advocates for life, great healers themselves. This is how God can transform each and every one of us, even through the darkest you know, and most painful experiences. God loves you, and God wants to extend his mercy to you. That's the message here. Uh, absolutely. And, and two quick thoughts on this, Ken. Um, one is that we, we have to remember the, the beautiful words of the Holy Father here uh, in, in two instances. First, when women come to a parish— um, you know, they may have moved or, or you know, are coming back to the church after having an abortion experience. And, um, you know, they're reconciled with the church, but they still have this heaviness, this this weightiness that's on their hearts. And if someone finds out in the parish that they've had an abortion, you know, uh, the, the, they're not treated, you know, with mercy. They're just, you know, how could you do that to your own child? And how could you kill? I mean, you know, and, and so a lot of women are afraid to come back to the church because of that. They're afraid of the response that they're going to receive from the people, the judgment. You know, um, th that's we have to be very, very careful about that. And I guess we don't we don't negate what happened, but we have to be vehicles of mercy. The second is in preaching. You know, how many people come up to me and say, gosh, I wish the priest or the deacon would preach on difficult issues. And one of the reasons why they're afraid to talk about uh, abortion in the homily is that you know, they're, well, somebody out there may have had an abortion. Yes, that's true. But you still have, but you have to ha include a message of mercy and love and hope in that homily. We're not just there to condemn and point fingers. We're there to, to show that God still, that God loves you. That, that you yes. know, uh, uh, even if they could just quote this paragraph, you know, in a homily or right. something, and of course, attribute it to John Paul too. But but th that would be a very very hopeful sign of the church's uh, mission of mercy, um, and, and not just condemnation, but but uh, mercy. What's it? Uh, mercy triumphs over judgment. It says in the scriptures. Right. Right. No, that's that's beautiful, and and uh, grateful for your reflection on what it means to be one, you know, who preaches this, always with mercy, always with God's mercy in mind. You know, in our last few moments here, talking about this entire encyclical, I just want to point out in paragraph one hundred one, John Paul says the gospel of life is not for believers alone; it is for everyone. The issue of life and its defense and promotion is not a concern of Christians alone. 
Although faith does provide special light and strength, this question arises in every human conscience which seeks the truth and which cares about the future of humanity. Life certainly has sacred and religious value, but in no way is that value a concern only of believers. The value at stake is one which every human being can grasp by the light of reason. Thus, it necessarily concerns everyone. We are encouraged through this entire encyclical to embrace life and to encourage our brothers and sisters around us to be people of life and for life. And to be actively pro-life is to renew the entire society through promotion of the common good. And it is truly a common good because we are embracing the dignity and value of each and every person around us. This is what we share in common, whether believer or not. And so John Paul encourages us to pray, to fast, and to rely upon Our Lady, Mary, who, as I mentioned before, has that relationship with Christ unlike anyone else in the history of humankind, because she bore within her, literally, the very Son of God. Her Redeemer was in her tummy. And that's what we think about when we think about the beauty of Our Lady being, you know, the that wonderful icon of Mary, you know, uh, with, with the child in her womb, or even Our Lady of Guadalupe, you know, which depicts Mary with child. You know, these are the images that we think of, and that's why we point to Mary and why John Paul, as he always does in every one of his encyclicals, wraps this up with a prayer to Mary. And maybe this is the best way to wrap up our, our uh, reflection on this, uh, before, and maybe Deacon, you'll you'll lead us in this in this closing prayer. But um, just wanted to say you can connect with us, folks, on Facebook. Just type in Living Stones Media. We have a group there. We'll be happy to let you into the group. But uh, next week when we come together, we're going to pick up a wonderful conversation with uh, an author of a book on Our Lady, Our Lady of Fatima. We're going to have Paul Sens with us, so we're excited about that. But until we gather then, Deacon, would you lead us in this prayer, or at least part of it, uh, kind of wrapping up this wonderful conversation on Evangelium Vitae? Sure. In the name of the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O Mary, bright dawn of a new world, mother of the living, to you do we entrust the cause of life. Look down, O mother, upon the vast number of babies not allowed to be born, on the poor whose lives are made difficult, of men and women who are the victims of brutal violence, and the elderly and the sick who are killed by indifference or out of misguided mercy. Lord, we ask that this civilization of truth and love be built to the praise and glory of God, the creator and lover of life. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.